Welcome to High and Wide Radio, everybody. This is our very first episode of HW Full Circle. This is the show where myself, Jack Smith, and you can find me at Jack underscore HW Radio, and my good friend Steve Ferrari, will f- we will discuss all the ins and outs of our own Metropolitan Division. That's right. This is now the official home of the Metro Report, as well as some in-depth analysis and discussions on all of the signings, moves, trades, hirings, and firings, and et cetera, of our Metro Division, the best division in the league. Quite frankly, we will honestly talk about whatever grinds our gears with a heavy emphasis on the rest of our very competitive division and bring it all full circle and see how it affects our beloved Philadelphia Flyers. Without further ado, allow me to introduce my co-host, Steve Ferrari. Steve was actually a part of the HW Radio family going way, way back. You were one you were on one of our very first shows, one or two, I believe, when we first got things running. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your Flyers fanhood? Well, Jack, I can say uh, I'm stoked to be here. I appreciate you guys having me in the uh, high and wide family. Um, first off, my Twitter is Ferrari underscore HW Radio. So happy to be a part of that. Um, from a very young age, I'll say I don't really remember anybody in my family being huge into hockey or being that um, guiding influence. My dad was a casual fan, but uh, for whatever reason, I was just drawn to the game. Uh, watching the Flyers as a kid, I, I remember gravitating towards it in- instantly. Um, played it growing up, and even I, I remember the days of Prism begging my dad to subscribe to it to watch the games. And uh, I could just never never get him to do it. So finally, when they, they started broadcasting all the games, um, I think in 97, 98 was about when, uh, when it really took off. But uh, as far as I can remember, I've been a hockey fan and especially a Flyers fan. So I'll have to ask you, who was your very first favorite flyer? I, you know, I think it was Big E at the time. Um, I remember watching the 97 Cup final against Detroit at uh, our mutual buddy Nick Henry's uh, parents' house. I just wow. remember him, him scoring that goal on the ice, raising his arm. A little too little too late, but um, from uh, he was the biggest name, and, and I think I always remember him. But Desjardins, LeClaire, all those guys were, were right there. Oh man, you're really reaching back for me. That was the, they were like gods to me at that time. Yep. I mean, yep. those guys, if I had met one of them, and I've met Flyers now, I've, I've taken a picture with Giroux, with Voracek, with Ghost. I've gotten signatures from Provorov and Konechny. But to meet one of those guys, especially back then, mm-hmm. would have been, I don't, it would have been an out of body experience. It would have been ridiculous, especially Lindros. And I had a funny conversation today, actually, as before the Boston game started, which we will get into just a little bit. And uh, I had a, a a guy, a friend of mine, who doesn't really watch hockey all that much, so naturally, he'll ask me about the certain things. And he goes, "When was the last time the Flyers had a guy, you know, like Crosby or like McDavid or Ovechkin or whoever?" And the answer is Big E. Oh, it yeah. was Lindros. Like, yep. You may like Carter and Richards and Giroux, even Drew and those guys, but when you talk about franchise generational player, the last guy the Flyers had was Eric Lindros. And before that, I'd say it was probably Bobby Clark. So you're talking about two in the histories of the franchises. You know, th- those are the two guys. And 
I don't blame you because I may have loved John LeClaire, but I also, in the back of my mind, knew that Eric Lindros was the guy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I like LeClaire for what he does, but Lindros is the guy. And without yep. him, we're not where we're at. So I appreciate that because a lot of a lot of people I ask now, they uh, they reach for uh, the Richard Carter error, which is fine. But it's good to have a guy that knows his stuff going back to the 90s when we were kids growing up. And we we just the league was a different thing at that time. It wasn't what we see today. And it was the dead puck error. So when a guy puts up 50 goals, three consecutive seasons, you really have to appreciate that. So I don't want to talk too much about the history. We're going to talk about now. We got the uh, the playoffs starting, uh, the round robin starting, and I'll start things off. I saw probably the best game I have seen that didn't involve the Flyers in the last, I don't know, 10 years when Montreal defeated Pittsburgh in overtime. Steve, did you see any of this game last night? I actually watched it from start to finish pretty much. And it was for being the first game back that mattered for both those teams. I was amazed at how hard they played. And I, I the, the, the mantra, the a goalie can steal a series or steal a game. Carey Price did that last night. Um, Montreal is not the most talented team in the league, um, but Carey Price gives them a chance to win every single night. And Pittsburgh threw everything they had at them. And it just it felt like it didn't matter what they did. The puck just was not going to go in the net. It was insane. I saw that game. I was like, listen, this is the first game that I'm going to see because of work, start to finish. It involves <clears throat> Pittsburgh. That is in the Metro Division. It is our biggest rival by far. I mean, if you grew up in the early 90s, you say the Rangers were our biggest, um, you know, our rival. And mm-hmm. for, for me, though, it's definitely the Penguins with Crosby and all that BS. So I had a heavy interest in this game. And I knew that Pittsburgh was the best team to not get a bye in the first round going against, obviously, the worst team. So I was very curious to see how this game played out. So when Montreal jumped out to not a one but two nothing league, I was very excited. But you saw that league disappear immediately. Uh-huh. And when Crosby scores the first goal, you're like, okay, here we go. And I think Russ got the second goal on like some kind of. They were both very odd goals. Yeah, they were. Neither were pretty. Yeah. You know. And you're, but whatever. It's two two at this point. And even with Montreal being up 2-0, that first period was all Pitt. They were mm-hmm. all over them. All the scoring chances went to Pitt. It was impressive in the sense that Price turned everything away for the most part. And it was amazing. So this game gets to the third period. And I don't think the final goal was scored until like six minutes left in the first OT. And there was a lot of power plays. Here's my. There's two very uh, interesting stats from this game. The first one was there were two penalty shots, and there were zero shots on net on yep. both those penalty yep. shots. That I don't think I've ever had that before. When you watch the penalty shot, you understand how that happened. They were especially on the drawing uh, goal or shot rather. Uh, he tempted to go to his backhand and just flubbed it. Sheary just straight up missed the net. But it's very odd to hear. But the other stat was when they showed, oh, the overtime heroes. Pittsburgh had, I don't know, eight guys? It was Crosby so. had two, and then it was everybody had one, and it was like Malkin, Sheary, Yensel. Like, it just went down. And then for the Montreal Canadiens, there was one very familiar name, and he had two goals, and that was Dale Weiss. 
And I got to give credit to the announcers in this game because this stack got brought up. It went to overtime, and the play-by-play announcer asked the color analyst, so who do you got in overtime for each team? And I believe he said Jensel for Pitt, and he said like Max Domi for Montreal or somebody else. And he, the uh, play-by-play announcer goes, well, you forgot about Dale Weiss. I literally <laughs> laughed out loud because uh, he was the only guy on the man. list. But he was also the last guy anybody expected to score any goals. Uh, they were on point tonight. So after an impressive overtime, which saw Jonathan Druin get tripped up on a, uh, a breakaway and completely flubbed the shot, uh, former Edmonton Oiler Jeff Petrie comes through and they get the first win. This is only a five-game series, Steve. So I understand Pitt looked like the better team for 80% of that game. They still lost. What do you think about the rest of the series? I think Pittsburgh is going to come out and blitz them again, just like they did in game one. But if Price can play at that level and the Canadians can just get some timely scoring, look, I think if the Canadians can score three goals a game and in today's NHL, that's not a lot. I think if they can, if they can get it to that number, they've got a really good chance to take the series and winning that first game was huge. I mean, we, we've seen it a million times. You win the first game and everything, everybody settles down, especially in this condensed format where everybody's really still getting their legs back, plays a little bit sloppy here and there. And getting that first one out of the way is, is such a confidence builder, especially as a, a 12 seed playing arguably a team that should have been – a team that would have been contending for the Cup in a normal year. But you never, you never know. Short series evens a lot of things out. And the the Canadians really looked like they played the game they wanted to play, even though Pittsburgh dominated them. The puck didn't go in the back of the net. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. I mean, when they say a goaltender can literally get hot and take over everything, what goaltender getting hot can be better than Carey Price? I really think you have to go back to the Dominic Hoshik days. Like he, if he gets hot, who can beat Carey Price? And with, like you said, it being only a five-game series, I still don't believe that Pitt will lose. I do believe, and I'm pretty convinced about this, that this game will at least go to game five. I really do think it's going to go the full distance. I think Montreal will pull at least one more win. I do think they'll ultimately fall to Pitt. There's too much star power. And one player we did not mention that I want to get your thoughts on is Evgeny Malkin. He has not played well. He has made interesting um I say interesting in a nice way. Decisions on the power play, on offense in general. He's missing that on shots. He's been out of position. He's been having a rough go of it. What is your analysis on again, Malkin? Watching him play, like you see these little, these little flashes of his his brilliance, but shift to shift, he's just so inconsistent. He looks disinterested. He looks slow. Honestly, it, it looks like one of those things where he's been playing for uh, a number of months and he's he's playing injured, where the player just doesn't look the same. Now, they've been off for, what, four months now, so I don't think there are really any lingering inj- injuries that we know of with him. But for whatever reason, he just looked disinterested with the game yesterday, kind of like when Couturier plays against them and he just he gets frustrated, he gets out of his element. And, like, you see those little times where he's got the puck on his stick and he's got a scoring chance. But other than that, he's invisible. At times, he actually hurts the Penguins, I think, more than he helps them. I have to agree with that last point for sure. I mean, he just – when you make bad decisions, you're giving away the puck. You're giving Mm -hmm. away possession. And he did it on the power play. 
he had a, a chance in front alone. And I know it's Carey Price, but he did this like interesting backhanded move, and it missed yeah, I didn't the know net what that completely. was. And it's like if he'd have scored, we'd have thought he was the greatest thing ever. But like when you look at the replay, he missed the net by a lot. And it's kind of like, what is he doing? And he turned over the puck a lot. And I remember Keith Jones saying this going into overtime, and I 100% agreed. If he were to have scored, and I don't care how he got it, the overtime goal, whether it was gritty, whether it was pretty, whether it was hit off his head and went in, it would have gave him all the confidence in mm-hmm. the world, and I would have been terrified of the Penguins. That's just how hockey is. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter how it got in. If he, if he said goal, again, Malkin, they win. Different series. But the yep. fact that he remained disinterested is a very good word. Uh we, we questioned whether he was injured, and we brought up uh, Crosby in our previous podcast, and I had made jokes. Uh, Crosby looked good. Crosby looked like Crosby. He banked, he banked that first goal off like a true pro, and I hate the guy, but I hate him for a good reason. Exactly. And it's for shit like that. He's very opportunistic, and that's the kind of stuff that'll get you back into games. And to be honest, I thought once it was 2-1 to one at that point, I'm like, here comes Pitt. It's over. Like, yeah, they were both. And then, go ahead. You, you felt the momentum shift that you, you knew they were going to push. There was, there was no doubt about it. That they weren't going to go quietly into the, to the end of that game and just take a 2-1 loss and go to the dressing room and play for the next day. You knew they were going to make a heavy push to win that game, and they did, but Sid, Sid can only do so much. If, if Malkin's on, they probably win that game 4-2. Four, four they probably put in another couple easy goals because he makes such a big difference. And when he's not playing, that team's just totally different. And – Going back to that, I think that's why they struggled on the power play so much this year. Um, not having him is that kind of um, quote unquote forgotten man where you got Latang, Crosby, Gensel, Rust, all those guys, and then he's kind of left alone and he's every bit as good as almost a- a- any score in the league. But when he's not, when he doesn't look interested, he might as well not even be out there. And it's the truth because it showed. And you had, I think honestly, that. Russ, Sherry, aside from finishing, Yensel and Zucker all played well. Like, Zucker had some shots. He didn't finish. Same with uh, Sherry. Russ had a goal. Yensel was coming back, and we were a little worried about him. And I, th- I still think he played pretty well. But when you look at a guy to carry you, to get you over, it's Malkin or Crosby. Crosby did his part. He yep. was there, man. Malkin looked – he just looked out of sorts. And uh, if the fact that he didn't do anything in this game – they got in a five-game series, and they got game one. And if Price can continue, I don't think Price will play like that every game. But if he can do it just two more times, I think <laughs> they might pull something here. And that's why this game, especially in overtime, and it was a deep overtime game. It wasn't like a three-on-three where they score within five minutes or whatever. This was, there was only like six, seven minutes left in a game. And I believe it was Jeff Petrie scored a pretty sweet yep. goal. Yeah, and it was it's nice a shame shot. because. The other thing is people like to hate on Matt Murray. Matt Murray didn't face as much as um, Price, but he looked pretty good. But that he last did. shot was a little I, tough. I, I was a little surprised they went with Murray over Jari because I thought Jari had a much better season. But after watching him in that game, I, I, I can't say it was the wrong call. Um, the Petrie goal was just a perfect shot from point-blank range. Not much he can really do there. you got to make a superhuman effort to save that. Um but, yeah, he played well. But I'll tell you this. If you changed Malkin's jersey and gave him somebody else and put 71 on the back of, uh, say, Sheary or Rust, you would never know that that, that wasn't Malkin. Yeah, they, I mean, they played like he usually plays. But he just – there was something off about him. And I noticed it in the Philly game too. 
there was something there. Now, I thought maybe it was just because he was a tune-up guy like him. How much does he really want to be out there for that? But he didn't. He looked the same way he looked in game one as he did in the exhibition game against the Flyers. And it's funny you bring that up because there's several players who I thought didn't look very good against Philly, and one of them was Crosby. I thought he looked um, – he, he tried dangling in, and he was immediately shut down, and I brought this up on the other show. And, yep, oh, he was injured and blah, blah, blah. I was like, bullshit. It's been like four months. But he looked good in this game, so maybe he was just dogging it a little bit because it didn't mean nothing. He might get injured. He turned it on. Malkin has not turned it on, and it's it's um, it's good for us because – well, it's a du- it's a double. I was just I was just gonna uh, say it's a double edged sword because I'm cheering for Montreal, but if they do pull this off, Pittsburgh's getting that first overall pick in my opinion. Like it's not it's no doubt. That little voice I mean, in the back of my head. I said it last night when we, when I was watching the game. I was like, I can't root for Pittsburgh, but at the same time, I I'd almost rather see them win just so they there's no chance of that number one overall pick. I, you know, it's it's tough because I want to I want them out of it. Because they could give us some trouble. I don't think they will. I honestly believe that we're the better team. But regardless, if they do lose, that voice in the back of your head, that's Gary Bettman. And Mm -hmm. he's got a lot of power. I've seen him do it before. (laughs) I mean, mean, (laughs) uh, you don't get the first overall pick in a heavily weighted lottery after you just had the first overall pick in a uh, canceled season. So. I'll never understand that. I've brought it up many times, and I'll bring it up again. It is the strangest thing to me when you got a team that's threatening to in Pittsburgh to move to Kansas City of all places. It just doesn't look good. You got Mario Lemieux, who's your what second best player of all time, threatening to move the team, and suddenly they poof get the first overall pick of the draft. Uh, That doesn't make you go, hmm. I don't know what does. So yeah, if this team gets bounced in the first round. I don't think they got a one and eighth chance. I think they got a one and <laughs> seventy five chance. If they, in case maybe the only other team I think deserves it is Montreal because they have they're the Montreal Canadiens, man. Mm. Like they are the premier team. Yeah, you'll say Toronto. Toronto is like crazy, but the premier team is the Montreal Canadiens. And when's the last time they were a true powerhouse? I think you have to go back to what ninety three. Yeah, man, that's been a long time. That. that... They've had good teams, but they've never been that consensus top two, top four team in the East. They're, they've always been kind of just in the middle. And that's, unless you hit on some picks, that can be purgatory. They've had Carey Price for how long and never really did anything with them. Well, that's just it. They have not hit on their picks. I mean, I wish yeah. I had it in front of me, but their first round picks are very, very rough. And one of their top picks is Galchenyuk, which I'll give them credit. Good move to move him for Max Domi because. Max Domi has paid dividends, but you know who hasn't looked that good? And he did have a penalty shot opportunity. That's Jonathan Druin. Jonathan Druin. And, I mean, yeah, he did have the breakaway that resulted in a penalty shot. The penalty shot itself resulted in a flubbed, you know, attempt at a backhand after a decent move, to be honest. Uh, but ultimately didn't come through, and they gave up a pretty goddamn good defenseman in uh, – what the hell is his last name? Sergachev? Yeah, Miguel Sergachev. Yeah, and I'd rather have him at this point. Same. And I remember the Flyers being in on Drew and went, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Wouldn't he look good with Drew and Vorchek and yada, yada, yada? <laughs> now I'm glad we weren't in on that because, yikes, you know, and it, it's tough. But, you know, luckily for us, or unluckily for us, they're not in our, our divisions, so we don't have to worry about them, but Pittsburgh True. is. And like I said, they could win and make some noise in this series. And ultimately, I think they win in five. Um, or they could lose and get the first overall pick because if they're in the running for that, 
<laughs> if I'm the rain, if I'm the NHL, who else would I rather have that pick? Like it keeps them relevant. It keeps Crosby relevant. And yeah, yeah I'm, getting the, I'm getting in the conspiracy series here and I'll, I'll back off, but like, come on, it, it is what it is <laughs> until it happens. And then it'll just get louder. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll follow that series as it is. So we'll just look at how it is. Montreal with a huge first win. I think they at least push it to game five. Maybe they pull it off. We'll see. As far as the rest, the rest of the Metro, we have the Rangers against Carolina. Uh, it's a pretty good game, actually. Uh, my favorite part was we saw a fight. We mm-hmm. saw uh, a couple of big hits. Uh, one of my favorite hits was uh, Brady Shea, former Ranger, believe traded this year at was, the yeah. midseason. Yep. Um, laid out Jesper Fast pretty bad. Um, and there was other hits in that game as well, but they Rangers took the L three to two, and I believe one of the goals was a very unfortunate bounce off of somebody's skate. Either way, um, Rangers in a hole. And you know, if it was a four-game series, I wouldn't worry about it too much. But it's a uh, they started uh, Lundqvist, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, you only got five games here to figure things out, and in Rangers' case, they have less if you because they got to win. Are you thinking about putting the young kid in, or are you sticking with the king? So I, I was surprised. Well, I can't say I was surprised because I kind of expected to be Lungwist. But um, based on the way the season had gone, the second half of the season, as good as Shosturkin looked and Georgiev and just the, the lack of games that Henrik was playing, I get it. He's your one of your best ever in the history of the Rangers. But in a five-game series – I'm putting my best goalie in, and right now I don't think it's Henrik Lundqvist. I think either Shosturkin or Georgiev would have fared better in that game, especially a team like the Canes that brings so much speed and skill. Um, I think he's a little bit slower at this point in his career, and I would have liked to see one of the young guns come out and, and see what they could do if they could steal game one. Look, I know he's got a ton of playoff experience. Come at way more than either of those two guys. We'll see in the next five five years but game one in a short series I'm going with the other one of the other guys Um, I don't know how either of them looked I know Shesterkin was nursing something he was watching from the stands yesterday Um, but all the advanced metrics on Georgiev had him looking good during the season high danger chances he was saving Um, I I thought he was the guy but uh, maybe it's the Kings last run and they figure if we don't get it we've got a shot at the number one pick but I think it was a little short-sighted to go with him over uh, over the one one of the young guys. You know, while we're on that subject, I just have to ask: Do you think it's some complete BS that the NHL somehow manipulated it? And I got to give him a little credit, depending on what you say, that whoever, whichever of these first-round teams loses, has a shot at the not any top pick, the first overall mm-hmm. pick. It's some BS because you got Detroit who should have honestly gotten that pick because they were in the playoffs, what, 25 straight years. They did it the right way. They're finally like, listen, we did the best we can. We won our cups. We made our playoffs. We're done. We're out. We lo- you know, Datsuk went to Russia. Zetterberg's done. Cronwall's done. Whatever. We need, we're done. We need our first overall pick like all these. We've seen all these other teams get. And they get screwed. Ottawa, who um, I don't have as much empathy for because their owner's an asshole, <laughs> but they had two lottery picks and they missed on both. And somehow, you know, 
emphasis on this. They um, whoever loses in the first round will get that first overall pick. Does that not scream opportunistic? To be very nice when I say that. That's a very very nice way to put it. Yeah. Uh, look, it gives them another another story. Like if if uh, Ottawa wins the draft lottery and uh, the the qualifying team gets pick eight, who cares? It's a one night story. It goes away. Everybody's happy because it's what it should have been. Now you've got this intrigue. Like like I said with Lundqvist, you start him and say, you know what? We're playing with house money. If we lose, at least we got a shot at the top pick. We have the same shot as everybody else. Um, I think it's a little, a little odd for that to happen in this kind of year. Um, I think it adds to the intrigue of the qualifying round. But it, it, in my opinion, I would have much rather see the draft consist of the teams that were not um, brought to the qualifying. Because to me, I, I know it's not playoffs. Some people say it is, but they're still playing hockey. Those seven teams that did not get to go to one of those bubble cities, they're not playing hockey. And I think they have the best, uh, they have the most rights to claim that they deserve the number one overall pick as opposed to one of these teams that gets bounced. I know there's some, uh, some of these teams wouldn't have been in the playoffs, but you know what? I think it should have gone to one of those seven teams. And then the losers of the qualifying round should have been play, uh, in a draft lottery for eight to the 15, whatever the, the pick is, 16. Yeah, it's 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 odd because I I kind of get it on one one prong. This is a two prong argument. And the mm-hmm. first prong is you got the NBA, you got the MLB, and obviously you got the NFL, and all of them are above the Flyers. And the MLB really you know stumbled out of the box with this. I don't know That's what's going to happen. With, I know, right? I don't know what's going to happen with the ML, NBA, but the Flyers or the, the NHL has done everything right. And this is just more added drama. But you don't – I just feel like you don't want to cross the bullshit line. Like you, you want to make it dramatic. You want to make it this and that. But you don't want to make it like it's fake. You mm-hmm. know, like, oh, Santa Claus isn't real. The NBA is fixed. Like you don't want to join that discussion. And people have always asked me, do you think that Connor McDavid going to Edmonton was rigged? And I, I say no. And they're, they're like – Really? Why? I'm like, because Edmonton's not a a star. Why would you send your face of your franchise to the end of the earth? Yeah, like, that's not that's not the it, uh, preferred destination of a lot of people. Right. Guys. Like, if, if I want my guy, my superstar of the future, I want him going to New York, Montreal, Toronto, L.A., even Philly or Pittsburgh. Over, you know. But but Edmonton, I get it. They had Gretzky. They also traded Gretzky, and there was a reason they traded Gretzky, you know, and they, tra- and they lost Messier, and, it, you know, like, there's a reason for all that, and they're not a hockey hub. They're not, they're not these other cities that I've mentioned. They're not bad, but they're not good either. They're not great, and if you have a guy of that caliber playing for that premiere of a team, you're going to make oodles of money oodles like i'm sure they're doing fine with edmonton but they would have made more if he was with somebody else if he's playing under a real head coach or with real players such as you know drew and here or pasternak in boston or you know panarin in new york or who, whatever these teams i mean they could have turned la around real quick and la is a huge hub on the west coast like come on you know if he would have went to one of those teams you know, that would have felt rigged. That would have felt like Patrick Ewing to the Knicks to me. Like, that would have been like, okay, 
you know, and but to Edmonton, I'm like, why would I think that's rigged? Because they, yeah, they want Edmonton to be good again? Edmonton hasn't been good since the 80s. The NHL's been doing just fine. I, yeah, I well, can understand. Yeah, going to Detroit would have made more sense to me. You know, yeah, what do you get from Edmonton being good? I mean, yeah, it's another Canadian city, but there's so many other places you could send him, and it would be a much better situation for the NHL than banishing him to Edmonton. And, and banishing is the key word because for a while there, thanks to Dreisaitl, I think they're going to you know, evolve out of that. But Shirelli did everything he could to <laughs> make sure that that team was unsuccessful. And luckily, although after today, and I'll bring this up real quick, the uh, Blackhawks won game one, six to four, with uh, Kublak? Kublak? <laughs> Kublak? Kubelik, who I had yeah. on my fantasy team, by the way, uh, with a five-point night. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but that's the old adage with Edmonton. They uh, they get all they always get the first overall pick. It's always a forward. They never have D or goaltending. Uh, they look into it. They get awarded the first overall pick, and they completely forget about defense and goaltending. And it looked like today, with this score, they have the offensive firepower but they're still lacking defense and goalie. They got some names, but not enough. And I think, yeah, let's say they survive round one. I don't think they're going to go that far. I think it'll ultimately be their Achilles heel. I don't want to get into it too much because that's the Western team. But my point is, if McDavid had been anywhere on the East Coast in the Metropolitan Division, considering the teams, or even a team that's rebuilding like LA, they just have more firepower there. That didn't feel... Um, rigged, where this setup here feels rigged. Now, I don't want to completely say that until I see a team like Montreal. Pretty much, I, I honestly believe the loser of Montreal and Pittsburgh will win that pick because it makes so much sense for a Canadian team with the caliber of Montreal to get going again because they haven't had that player since, Jesus, I, the 80s? Like, because even the yeah. team in the 90s had Patrick Waugh. We're not talking goaltending. We're talking franchise center or Pittsburgh because you get a player of his caliber. It doesn't really matter where you play him. You got Malkin, Crosby, Latang, and Murray. You'll make it happen. And you, mm-hmm. keep, you keep your already franchise guy going a little bit longer, keeping things going, and maybe even hand it off. It's the definition of rigged. Uh, and we'll see what happens ultimately, but it doesn't look good. So... I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I don't, in today's day and age, it's really hard to rig something like that and it not come out. However, it does seem very suspicious that in this kind of weird year that that's what happens and all of those qualifying round teams get a shot at it. The same shot, I'll add. So it, it just, it just see, it feels a little weird. Let's just, I'll, I'll say that and leave it there. Yeah, I mean, I'll agree and I'll leave it at some things that make you go, hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And it, and when eventually Montreal topples Pitt and Pitt gets the first overall <laughs> pick, remember this podcast. Um, we'll move Mark on from down. that. <laughs> uh, the only other t- Metro team besides the Flyers that were in uh, in play last night was the Islanders took a 2-1 win over Florida. Um, I kind of want to talk about Florida just a little bit, only because it's going to tie in something we'll talk about later. So uh, did you see this game at all or the highlights or anything of that nature? Unfortunately, I did. I I watched most of the game outside by the pool, but it was a ugly, boring Islanders type of game. 
Um, they mucked up the middle of the ice, dump and chase, got the puck out. I mean, look, I got to give them credit. They, Florida has a ton of firepower. Uh, there's just something off with them. And I, I, I wasn't sure if the Islanders were going to be their kryptonite or vice versa. If Florida could break through the way that the Islanders play. But after game one, um, I, I just can't see Florida scoring enough goals um, to, to, to win that series. The, the, they, they were playing right into the Islanders' hands. And for all the ugliness of the Islanders, one of the things they do best is get pucks out of their zone and retrieve them when they dump it in. And they did a lot of that yesterday. So I, I think Florida, as talented as they are, which I think they are a much more talented team overall, I just don't think they're going to be able to get past the Islanders. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because the Islanders just tend to smother you and you have to give mm-hmm. credit um, to their head coach. And you saw it with – I'll be honest, I didn't really see it that much with the Capitals, but I really saw it with the Islanders going back to last year. And you had to ask yourself, are these guys for real? And unfortunately, it looks like they are. If there's one first-round matchup I don't <laughs> want to see, it's the Islanders. Islanders. Could and not it's agree a shame more. because on paper, I truly believe we're better than they are. But it's this Barry Trotz is just he's got something, you know, he he, he doesn't really care who's in goal, clearly, because he let uh, he brought in Varlamov, who's good, but he gets injured a lot. You yeah. Know? And he wanted to save money there. And he re-signed. Uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Andreas. um Oh geez, I can't remember their their top their top. Uh, Andrews Lee, their captain. Lee? Andrews Lee, yeah. Andrews Lee, Andreas. Yep. Lee, and whatever. Uh, Andreas Mazaros. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking um, Noodle. Oh, Noodle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's some relevant flyers for when we bring that up. Yeah, so like to bring him back, and it looks like it's paid dividends because if there's one team that could surprise people in in a, in a uh, five or seven game series that can really shut you down and really make you not play your game. It's the Islanders. Like if I had to put money on a team and you said I was not allowed to take any of the top seeds, it would be the Islanders. And it's because of Barry Trotz. And you were, I mean, I don't not that all that impressed with the Panthers. I, uh, and we'll bring this up later. I don't think Bobrovsky's half as good as he used to be. I think yeah. the Columbus defense covered up a lot of his deficiencies. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's only two to one, but, Listen, they scored two goals. They shut everything down. They gave up one. They got the win. You know, and I it think they're going to – I wouldn't be surprised if they swept them. It's not it a big a, sweep. It's only five-game series. But if they play their game where they get the goals they need and then go into full defense mode, I can definitely see them prevailing. And uh, that team scares the shit out of me. So I will catapult off of that into <laughs> the Flyers game today. And okay. what a big win it was because if we continue this, it's unlikely that we'll play the Islanders because we just played the best team in hockey. Uh, first period was a little rough, but we didn't we didn't give any way. You know, we we held it down. We scored the first two goals. Uh, I'd be honest with you, Steve, and you tell tell me how I'm wrong here. I was questioning why Nate Thompson was in the lineup, but my God, did he have a snipe on that second goal? I mean, to be honest with you, that was probably the snipiest snipe goal I saw today. And that includes the Scott Lawton goal that came later. And the fact that we won 4-1, to one, we're never really in trouble against a team like that who statistically was the best team in the league. Bruce Cassidy also up in that Jack Adams Award discussion. I mean, what did you think of today's game, man? All right, so I came into this with a bit of an open mind. I expected the first period – honestly, I expected the first period to go exactly how it went. 
Um, Boston would come out strong. Uh, they're, they're a really good team. I, I will take nothing away from them. I knew they were going to come out looking like that. I mean, the, the, all the play was a little sloppy. The Flyers looked a little bit lazy clearing some of the pucks up the boards, which I thought led to a few chances for the Bruins here and there. Um, but, man, what the coaching staff did uh, after the first period or maybe the, the legs just woke up a little bit, the Flyers looked like a completely different team, and they played that style of hockey we saw them playing um, for the last few months of the season where it didn't matter what happened, they were always in control of the game. It, it felt like from the drop of the puck in the second period, they looked like the better team. Now, Boston, with that, that perfection line of Bergeron, Marchand, and uh, Pasta, they're, they're going to get their chances. You know they're going to get their chances. They're going to do those tic-tac-toe passes you see. Uh, but the Flyers always looked ready. And, and Carter Hart, nothing they talked about it on the broadcast today nothing phases him doesn't matter if he's sprawling out to make a save um going over for a one-timer he always looks composed and he he always looks like he is where he wants to be if that makes sense um going back to your nate thompson um when the lineups came out i was looking for the the scrolling at the top and i saw him in and i was a little puzzled by it um I, I, he looked okay in the couple games that he played with the Flyers, but Farabee, I feel like, gives him a little bit more of a shot in the arm. Um, I'm totally fine with Nate Thompson after today. He played um, an incredible, like, as, as good as you can play for a fourth liner. Uh, in limited minutes, he looked excellent. He, he didn't do anything outside of himself. Penalty kill looked great. And then, like you said, that, that goal he scored was just a thing of beauty. It's so true because I really question that. If I'm going into game seven, I'm not taking Nate Thompson. I'm taking Joel Farabee. I want the talent, but you know, I'm not the GM. I'm not the coach. And they went with Nate Thompson and it paid dividends. And that was a, I mean, I don't expect them to do that in game, you know, against, uh, uh, I think they play Washington on Thursday. I don't expect that. But that being said, that's what happened. And another thing that was huge in that game. And I, I love this. This is my favorite part of the game is they give up that goal to something Warner. I don't even know who the guy is, to be honest with you. It was a little bank shot, something very similar to what I saw Crosby do to Carey Price. The, no, what, five, ten seconds later, Felipe Myers comes down and rips a shot past Halak. And like, Just an that, absolute laser. That's how you come back, man. Yep. Like That doesn't give you – I thought the game was over at that point. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, come on. You They finally score, and you come right back and get that two-goal lead back. I know they say a two-goal lead is the worst lead in hockey. Not when it's 2-0. Not when it's three to one. Not mm-hmm. like that. Not when it's two zero. You score and they come right back and score again like that. It's like yo, screw you, man. Like this is our game. We got this. And it, uh, that must have been the most de- demoralizing goal because it didn't look. It looked pretty in the sense where he put it, but that was a stoppable shot. And it, it just it had to have taken the air out of their balloons. And they didn't. They pressed towards the end of the game, but I don't think they really pressed after that point. Also added another goal on top of that. A lot of like no, I don't want to say no names, but lesser guys you'd expect. Lawton scored, Raffle scored, Felipe Myers, Nate Thompson. I'm not saying Voracek. I'm not saying Drew Hayes. You know, even the defensemen. Like we had some. It's basically what we saw during the season. Like everybody pitches in, and if this friggin' power play could get going, because that's the one thing that didn't look good. They could really be a force. They they I think they gave up more chances, scoring chances, not shots. But I think they gave up more scoring chances than they did than they had on their power plays. 
but that being said, you look forward to one win over the best statistical team in hockey. You can't ask for a better result. No, and how many times have we seen in the past with the Flyers where they give up that goal, make it two to one, and then the other team comes down and scores that goal 30 seconds later, and then it's 2-2, and the game completely flips on its head. Today was a, a microcosm of the Flyers season with, uh, with Vigneault, and you, they, they score. It feels like the momentum could shift in the Bruins' favor, and then you come out and your D-man scores a timely goal, and the game, like you said, I, I felt like the game was over at that point. Although the Bruins pressed, none of it really felt like it was uh, like, like it was going to crack the Flyers. Um, but it was it was so nice to see. And, and, and of everything, if something has to be fixed, I'm okay with it being the power play game one. Um, all in all, though, like you said, the depth scoring, just everybody played great. And, and Katoria, Boracek, and uh, G, while they weren't really lighting it up offensively, they played a great defensive game too. And, and that was really encouraging to see, especially against that, that perfection line. That's another thing that goes unnoticed. Um, I saw Hayes, everybody digging in, uh, not so much blocking shots, but just pickpocketing and clearing mm-hmm. the front of the net and uh, just making smart decisions behind the net. Hayes, like he laid a couple of hits that I'm not going to overdramatize him like some people. Like he didn't rock anybody, but he did what he had to do. And he, they, they, you know, they got the puck out of the zone. That's all you can ask for. And one of my three keys to the, any game, I'm not going to steal Kyle's keys here uh, where he does it individually. <laughs> I'm just saying for this playoffs, what I wanted to see was one crisp passes, which we're still working on a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh, special teams where the PK is there. PK mm-hmm. looks great. Power play needs a little bit of work. Um, and just taking stupid penalties. I, I don't think they did that today. I think that there was one uh, slashing call. Uh, I think the first was, one? Yeah, that was, that was really weak. weak. Uh, the hag, I think it was hag that holding yeah. call the, he clearly put his arm out. So I can't argue that one, uh, looked weak, but when you have your arm fully extended in front of the guy, I can't not, or I can't argue against it at the same time. When, uh, when I saw it in real time, when I saw the hag one in real time, I yelled at the TV and then I saw the replay. I was like, yeah, you can't do that. There's a difference between guiding him away from the puck and grabbing him and, and Hag went a little too far, but yeah, he was probably the only bad spot of the entire game. But right. the puck goes off the skate, and he takes the penalty. But you know what? If if your sixth defenseman is the worst thing in your game, I can live with it. Yeah, I mean, and when you think about the Flyers' uh, future, uh, you got Cam York waiting in the rings. You got Zamula waiting in the wings. Like he's sixth, probably seventh at best. So you'll take that. Yep, um, yep. And yeah, so I'm the same way. Like I'll see something in real time and I'll scream my head off, I'll watch replay and suddenly I get real quiet. Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> it, it's a shame. It's it's a, you know, I don't know if it's a good quality of mine. I hope Flyers fans appreciate it. <laughs> but it is what it is. Uh so yeah, anyway, huge win for the Flyers today. We only got 3 games to play. We won the first one in dominant fashion. I know we didn't win 6 nothing, but 4 to 1, come on, man. That is a huge win and all the analysts out there that said that the, almost all of them said the flyers are going to finish fourth with like two or three senate saying we'll finish third and i'm kind of like yeah i got two words for you after that game come on <laughs> so um just to finish up on our uh the metro here two teams we didn't talk about i'll go to the capitals first they play uh tampa tomorrow where do you think their chances are 
the Caps, you know, they're, they're they're a team that I could see getting really hot, especially with Ovechkin in that top line. But there, there's something about them that doesn't scare me the way they have in the past couple of years. Um, I, I think Ovechkin's going to score. We, he's the one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the NHL, maybe finishes as the best ever. Um, but there's just something about that team as a whole that it, it just doesn't scare me the way it used to. Maybe it's the blue line a little bit, but I, I don't know. I, I could see them getting bounced early in these playoffs. And ideally for me, they are the four seed and the Flyers get to avoid the Bruins and Tampa in the first round or in the uh, in the second round of the playoffs. I, uh, I tend to agree with you. I don't think they win. However, uh, one of their strengths, as you've seen Crosby or Crosby, Ovechkin looked very good against, he did. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know who they played, but I know he had like two goals in the first two periods. Like he looked at his regular self. Um, but if there is an issue with the team, it is definitely the blue line and also Holpe. We don't know how Holpe's going to show up. Um, they did add Brendan Dillon and he didn't look too good during the regular season, but you know what? The good thing about this whole COVID thing is it's a clean slate for a lot of guys. And if he could get his game going, because he was one of the top sought-after defensemen, um, if he could change things around for them and just play his game, that could be a huge difference maker. Uh, maybe see less Agudis, because the Flyers clearly won that trade. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say the top seed's probably going to be Tampa. Number two is either going to be us or Boston, and then either the vice versa, and then Washington, like you said. Um, I don't think that means that you can easily beat them in a five to seven game series. That's a different conversation. I'm just saying they're playing the top three teams. We've tended to have their number this year. They only beat us the first time we played them. That went to overtime. After that, we've handled them quite easily, to be honest. Uh, I remember going to a game at, um, where at Chicken and Pete's in Marlton, and they handled Washington like pretty it was like five to one. to one man like they it, it was insane I couldn't believe I was on the winning side of that game they just shut them down in every every facet of the game it was impressive Hart looked so much better than Holpe it's I think that Washington was honestly made the right decision in resigning Backstrom and letting Holpe walk listen you drafted right. Samson off in the first round why you drafted a guy in the first round if you don't intend on making him your starter, especially as well as he played? Backstrom's been your center to Ovechkin, and that's been pretty good. So it was just was the most easiest decision. Um, we'll see how they play. We'll see how this goes. I'm not scared of this team like I used to be in the past. This is not the 2017 you know, or 2018 Washington Capitals. This is a completely – I don't want to say they're running on fumes because that's unfair. They're still a very good team, but – I honestly believe they are the fourth out of the top seeds remaining. I'd even argue the Penguins might be better at this point. We'll see what happens. Um, to just finally finish up the Metro division, we had talked about the uh, the top guys. We're going to drop to the bottom <laughs> here. Our uh, lovely New Jersey Devils have a new GM and Tom Fitzgerald and a new head coach and a very familiar name that we've heard uh, in Lindy Ruff. Uh any thoughts on these uh, signings or hirings and the future of the team? I'll tell you this. The NHL loves their retread coaches. Um, if you're a coach in the NHL at one point, there's a good chance you're going to be a coach somewhere down the, down the line in the future. Um, 
But, I, I, you know, I like the hiring for the Devils. Um, Ruff, is, he's got a proven track record. Playoffs in 10 of 19 seasons. He made it, the playoffs in the first four years. He was with Buffalo. Jack Adams, 0506, and he was a finalist again 10 years later with Dallas in 15-16. Um, he was with the Rangers the last couple of years. Um, he did help develop the D-men there. So you had guys like Fox, D'Angelo, Lindgren, and then even Neil Pionk, who got traded this year, but he looked really good in, in Winnipeg. Um, he got some stars in – he got to coach some guys in, with the stars in Sagan, Ben Klingberg early in their careers. Um, I, like, I like the hire, but I think the Devils have so much work to do with the team as a whole. Um, he sure looks good, but he doesn't look like a guy that's going to put your franchise on its back. Um, same with Hughes. Uh, he was touted as this generational guy. And look, it's early. He still might be. Um, but I think he needs to get stronger. You could tell he just wasn't on par with an NHL uh, player just yet in his career. Um, you have to start him in the NHL last year, but I, I think the Devils do have a lot of work to do. Now, Fitzgerald, I'm a big fan of that to pair a, a, a unseasoned guy like him with a, a, an older coach in Ruff. Um, I think he can bring a fresher perspective that maybe Lindy Ruff is, uh, is, is a little bit out on or a little bit outdated on. Um, so pairing those two minds together, I like. Um, and he did run the trade deadline last year for the Devils, and they did make a couple of good moves. Uh, my favorite for them was the Coleman for Nolan Foote and a first this in 2020. Um, so I like that from him, um, but he's still got a lot of work to do with that team. They need to solve the goaltending, um, and they really need some help on defense too. Yeah, no, these are all very good points. Um, one thing I'll say is I actually – I don't love, but I like the Lindy uh, – Rough signing because they were in on Peter Laviolette, and the way Laviolette coaches, this New Jersey Devils team is not set up to play this style of hockey. They're not like ready to win. Like you, no. you bring Laviolette in, you're ready to win, and this team's not ready to win. It made no sense. Uh, yeah, I was told, oh, he wanted too much money, and it's like that probably is true because he deserves it, but at the same time, it wouldn't have gelled. And Lindy Ruff, I like this him here more than I did Dallas because he's the kind of guy he's been in Buffalo when he was with Buffalo. He was there for like 15 years or something crazy. You know, it's like it's a a smaller market. You can just kind of do your thing there. He's respected. He's been around the league forever. I wouldn't go as far to say that I think that he's not in tune with what's going on with the league now because I thought he did okay with Dallas. Um but that's where Tom Fitzgerald's going to come in. And I don't know a whole lot about him. You definitely named more than I I did know. And I like what I heard about the deadline because that was a good trade with Tampa that you said. Nolan Foote was, is not a nothing uh, prospect. Like, that's something. Like, if I were a Flyers fan rebuilding, we brought in that, style, that player, caliber of player. I'd be like, okay, this is, like, not a bad prospect. This guy mm-hmm. will probably play for the team. That's great. Um, on top of that, uh, I believe he traded Wayne Simmons for what? You got something for the guy? Like, anything. I, anything was that, better than... It made no sense that Buffalo wanted him at all. I, I think it was a fourth-round pick, actually. You know what? And, you know, Oscar Lindblom was a fifth-round pick, so whatever. Yeah. It's it's a it's a lottery ticket at that point, and mm-hmm. I would make that move if it was offered to me, so good for him. So we'll see what he's made of. I definitely didn't like Shiro. He's a goofball. Although I will get... He did trade for Taylor Hall, but I think it was more Shirelli's incompetence than Shiro's uh, prowess, if you, you know what I'm saying. That's a good um, way to put 
Yeah, and uh, and it showed because as it went on, they tried to make some moves. And I do want to talk about this a little bit, get a little in-depth, because uh, I've caught some flack. Um, I was not exactly gung-ho for giving up a second and a third for Justin Braun. And while it has paid off a little bit, there's a li- I also think he's a role player, and I think that you shouldn't give that up for a role player unless you're a Stanley Cup contender. Now, going back to last summer, did anybody believe the Flyers were Stanley Cup contenders? If you say yes, you're lying. That's no, there's no way. There's no way. There's just I'm sorry, but there's no way. You Even had to give so at least. Fit. Yeah, you had to give Vigneault at least a year. So the fact that you're making a go for it now move. For a guy like Braun, who's on a one-year deal, was a head-scratcher for me. Things have panned out. Vigneault should win the Jack Adams, which we'll get to later. That explains, among other things, Kevin Hayes and Hart, why the team is so good and where they are. So it looks like the the move did work out. I love Braun. I didn't like what we gave up for him, but considering how good the team is, it makes perfect sense now. At the time, it really didn't. Uh, but one move I did like that the Devils made is they gave up something very similar. I don't think it was the second and the third. It may have been um, for the Russian uh, uh, asset Gusev. from yes, from uh, Vegas. I believe Vegas had the rights to him, and they couldn't yep. fit him in for new. Yes, so they they brought him in, and I was I'm like, if you're gonna give up this these assets, this is a style of player. I would like to see. And immediately I got attacked with, oh, he's the best player in the KHL. You know who else was? And all these like guys who just didn't pan out, like Zerdev and whatever. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what they called him in the in the KHL. He's a talented player. I don't expect him to come in and be Drew. I expect him to be a secondary player who plays his game. And to be honest, if you look at the bright spots of a very dismal devil season, he was one of the bright spots. Yep. He had some points. Nobody will ever give me credit on that one because they had <laughs> such a poor season. Well, that's what the uninitiated tend to do. They tend to look at the picture as a whole and just make a conclusion. Well, that's not what Full Circle's about, Steve. Full Circle, we're going to break it down for you. And this was a good move by the Devils. Now, he's older, which will hurt. So if I'm the Devils and I'm in full rebuild, he's on my team next year, and I'm looking to move him for something substantial. I hope he plays better. I uh, I don't know what they're going to add to him to make that happen. Um, but if you could get anything for the guy, you have to do it. And or I mean, because he'll be 28, I believe, which is still isn't terribly old, but it's not young either. So it, it's um, definitely something Fitzgerald should look into. I don't think you should give him away, but I think he should look into what he brings and what he can build and how fast he could build it. Uh, I can see him being an asset for turning things around. If you look at it more as a retool and not a rebuild, or if you're going to flat out rebuild, then you need to move them. And part of that, and I'll bring this up, is goaltending. And Corey Schneider's falling off a cliff, but they do have Mackenzie Blackwood. And I want to ask your opinion on this, Steve. What? And this has been going on all year. What is your, and try not to laugh, um, opinion on Devils fans, who are, are probably some of the least knowledgeable fans in hockey, comparing Mackenzie Blackwood to Carter Hart? So... <sighs> It's hard to even expand on that because it, it just feels like it's not even a comparison. Uh, I'll put it the, the easiest way. My eyes tell me that they're not even close. Mackenzie um, <laughs> Blackwood, he's a, he's a decent goalie. Um, granted, he doesn't have a ton of help in front of him right now, but he just 
he looks like he's out there. Um, he's talented, but I just don't see the um, the the what am I trying to say here? The uh, the the minutia that makes Carter Hart Carter Hart. Um, Hart never looks frazzled. He always looks at like he's in good position. Um, he he stays cool under pressure. Like there's never a time. Every now and then you'll see him sprawl out and make a great save. But you don't see those a lot from him because he's always in the right position. Uh, Blackwood, you'll see those from, but I, I don't see his positioning being the same, um, nearly the same level as Hart's. Uh, he's, like I said, he's a good goalie, but I'm not hitching my wagon to him, even though he's only 23. I think he's more hype and more name than really anything. Like to me, if I'm a Devils fan, I'm moving him and I'm going for uh, Askarov. Uh, from the KHL in, in, in this year's draft. Now, drafting a goalie that high, that's dangerous, but he looks like he's the real deal. And we've seen a bunch of goalies come out of uh, uh, Russia lately that have been pretty good, but I, I don't know. Blackwood just doesn't do it for me. You can give me stats all you want, but my eyes tell me he's not he's not a franchise goalie. And comparing him to Carter Hart seems just foolish and uninformed. To be honest with you, and I agree with everything you said, I'm going to get back to what you mentioned about the draft, but uh, it just felt like a team that had Brodeur and would, they were the guys who were like, yeah, we know what goaltending is. They are suddenly realizing quickly, we're the, we're the New Jersey Devils, and unless we have a guy that is just all bleeds Devils and is a super, super, superstar, which they do not have right now, that they just – they're probably going to be a bottom dwelling team. And so, and I mean, sure, Jack Hughes could turn it on at some point, but I, I honestly believe they need more than that. And you know who I think believes that more than me? I think that was Taylor Hall. And I think that's why uh, he couldn't wait to get out of there. And they, uh, the Coyotes just beat the, uh, not that I think he'll resign with the, uh, with Phoenix, but he, they just, um, or Arizona, excuse me. They just beat, beat the uh, the National Predators tonight, and he had two assists and a couple of guys looking good on that team. But I think the Devils did everything they could to bring him back, and a lot of that included trading for P.K. Subban, who is obviously past his prime unless he miraculously turns shit around, at least based on his salary. Um, He's not a $9 I, million a year defenseman. That's a lot, Not even man. close. I mean, that's a lot of money, man. I mean, come on. And I know he's a defenseman, and he can move, but I honestly think Will Butcher is their best defenseman. <laughs> and uh, you know, he's sure he's no, he's what he's only better than Nolan Patrick. And what's that saying? You know, yeah, nothing. Not much. You know, he just shows up. That's what all that is. That's what he's got on Nolan Patrick. He shows up to play. That's the only yeah. difference. He's nothing special. Uh, Jack Hughes. I'm not going to make a comment on that yet. He's still got time to pull it together. It does happen. I see the talent. I saw what he did with Cole Caulfield, and when. They got separated. How Cole Caulfield's point differential dropped drastically. I'm talking like 40 to 50 points. Uh, I thought those are video game numbers to begin with, but that's still an awful lot. So there is talent there. He just has to adapt to the NHL, and I think he will. It's just going to take time. You see his brother, Quinn Hughes, had no problem, but that's also a different position with a better team, where mm-hmm. New Jersey is got to be It's got to be a clusterfuck up there, to be quite honest with you. It's got, it's got to be a lot of goof odd things going on with everybody taylor hall wanting out not knowing what's going on with goaltending blackwood taking a step back despite what new jersey devils fans might tell you um 
with the Simmons experiment not working out, Supan with them for another year. Uh, this team, in my opinion, and they got the seventh pick this year, uh, and I wanted to ask you, you brought up a goalie from Russia. Where do you think he'll – was he a first-round caliber goalie? I think he absolutely is first-round caliber. Now, the NHL seems to be uh, averse to taking goalies in the first round for the most part. Um, but of all the ones that have been drafted recently, I think he is someone that should go in the first. And I think he's the type of guy that can change your franchise. Look, we, we know the you need guys that can score. You need guys that play solid defense. But if you don't have a goalie, how many years did we see it with the Flyers? It really doesn't matter who you have in front of them. If they can't stop a puck, you're not going anywhere in this league. Um, everybody these days that are in the playoffs, they're all too talented. Um, you get too much. Like, look at look at uh, the Panthers with, with Bob. Bob's playing terrible. If he was playing nearly what he played in Columbus last year, that team's a totally different story. So if, if you don't have the goaltending, you're not going to go very far in this league. And for a team like the Devils, where it looks like the inmates are kind of running the asylum right now, um, and they don't really have a good direction, securing that spot, I think, would be a, a pretty uh, a pretty good step in the right direction. Maybe not at seven, um, but if you can trade down, get some capital, take him in the teens, it might look a little bit better. But I do believe he is worthy of that selection. So it doesn't sound like that you think he'll fall to the second round where they could draft him early. Seven does seem awfully high. Spencer Knight was probably the most recently highest rated goalie. I think he went around 14 or 16 in that range. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Yeah, it definitely mid, mid-teens, I would say. And that was just last year. But before that, I can't think of a goalie who went in the first round. You have to go back to Samsonoff, I think, in like 2016. Yep. Um, and even that, I believe, was in the early 20s. Um, so yeah, that seventh seems awfully high. Uh, if they traded back and pulled it off, I wouldn't be against it considering what they need. However, I'm not hundred percent sure on how good this draft is. Uh, end of story. They got a lot of work to do. Um, I, like I said, with Brodeur earlier, they don't have that guy. They don't have that face of the franchise. They potentially do, but until that happens, I think they're going to be floundering a bit, and they got a lot of work to do. And uh, New Jersey isn't exactly a destination uh, city, so I, I can't see somebody go, oh, yeah, I want to go to New Jersey. I'm going to win there. So And they're not exactly a team that can offer money either. So what do yeah. they really have going for them uh, outside of a 90s and early 2000s run to, you know, hoist their nostalgia that's what they've got going yeah for. <laughs> and, that, and that's really it and it's not like oh i want to go play for lindy Roth. the guys how old at this point like it just uh, i'm really curious to see what they're going to do we'll see how good tom fitzgerald is it's going to have to be if i were to think the devils were to turn it around and this will go into our my next question um they're going to have to do something similar to what the blue jackets have been doing and drafting very well uh, and just having guys come up and take over for who they let go. Uh, and we'll see what happens there. But I'll ask you right now, the Blue Jackets, the final team in our division, and I want this to lead into our other discussion. Uh, there's about four minutes left in the second. They're tied 0 0 with the Maple Leafs. I expect the Maple Leafs to win that division, uh, that series rather. Um, but that team, quote unquote, lost a lot of players, lost their starting goaltender, definitely lost their superstar player in uh, Tanny Panera and, and her seem to be hitting the drawing board again. However, how they perform this season would tell you differently. Uh, your thoughts on the Blue Jackets season and their chances in this playoff format. 
I can't say that I saw the Blue Jackets performing as well they did, as they did this year. Um, they did lose a lot of talent last year. They swept Tampa in the first round. That shocked the hockey world. Probably one of the greatest upsets that we'll ever see um, for for a long time. Um, Tortorella, he's a great coach. Um, he gets his teams ready to play, and he does a great job at countering what other teams do well and taking them off their game. Now, they lost a lot of players from last year. Bob and Panarin, like you mentioned, uh, Duchesne, Duzingle, they people love to bring them up, but let's be honest, they were deadline acquisitions that were always going to be deadline acquisitions. They were going to be going after the season no matter what. Now, they lost a lot of a lot of man games to injury. They dealt with injuries to Corpusalo. Anderson's been out all year. Seth Jones is out for a little bit. So it's not like they've been completely healthy. But uh, in saying that, Tortorella has also been with the team for a number of years. Um, so I think that makes it easier to absorb some of those losses. Um, and I think Columbus came out of the gate hot. Um, they, they played above, above their heads, in my opinion. And I think you were seeing them start to slow down towards the end of the season where, um, I, I mean, they're not the most talented team. They play a great brand of hockey, um, if an unexciting brand of hockey. But um, I, I think the other thing is, while that game is going on right now, I think Merzlikin should have been the guy. Uh, Corpusala was good, but I think Merzlikins was the type of guy that can steal uh, a series in the playoffs here or there. Um, I, I just don't see them getting past a more talented uh, Toronto, although disappointing Toronto team. Yeah, they are definitely disappointing. They got all the talent in the world. They can't seem to put it together. Um, and a lot of it's defense. I'm, I'm actually very curious to see what Toronto does this uh, off season, if you will. A name that comes to mind is um, St. Louis Blues defenseman. Thank you, Petrangelo. Yes. Um, it makes a lot of sense, as well as trading Nylander for anybody at this point, because I think they need to allocate that money to defense. Hey, the guy did score 30 goals. I won't kill him. But at the same time, you're paying tens of millions to Tavares, Marner, and um, uh, my guy. Oh, you my, said that. Uh, Tavares, Marner, and um, Matthews. Matthews. That's one of the bunch. I can name anybody except anybody on my fantasy team. Uh, yeah, so they're playing oodles of money to those guys who that kind of trade just seems illogical. So Nylander makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm curious whether they just try to sign a guy, let Barry go, let Muzz or whoever go and just figure it out, or if they do make a trade. And I think trading makes too much sense. Um, but to stay with our division – I agree with you with Columbus. I think they're, it's cute that they're here right now. It's it's adorable. Uh, I, I'm proud of them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't think they're anything special. Um, and we'll just jump off the Metro report and we'll jump into the deep dive at this point. And two of the things we want to talk about is uh, some of the awards going out right now. And the main one right now we'll get into is the Jack Adams Award with the three finalists being Alevin Yo, your Philadelphia Flyers, Bruce Cassidy of the Boston Bruins, and they have they do have the best record in hockey. Um, and finally, John Torella of the uh, Blue ja Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's a two-horse race for me, and this is where people tend to get bent out of shape. Uh, I want Vigneault to win this award. I don't consider Bruce Cassidy. I never consider Mike Johnson. While I think they had decent seasons, they had very good players on the teams. They dealt with adversity and injury, but 
ultimately, when it comes down to it, this is a two-horse race. And when you look at what John Tortorella has done with the Columbus Blue Jackets, it almost seems like a shoo-in, unless you look a little closer. And if you ask me, there's a lot of misinformation and a false narrative being uh, projected out there. Um, And what I'm going to say before I hand it over to you uh, is – First off, they lost. Let's look at who they lost. Okay, they lost to Zingle. They lost Panarin. That's a huge loss. They lost Bobrovsky. That's their starting goalie, their two-time uh, Vesna winning goalie, and they lost um, Duchesne. They lost okay. Duchesne. And first off, I'm going to shut you down right away and say Dzingel and Duchesne were not a part of the Columbus Blue Jackets. They were added at the deadline. That's like saying after the 98-99 season for the Flyers or whatever year it was, the Flyers lost Adam Oates. Okay, stop. <laughs> pump your brakes. We didn't lose Adam Oates. We traded for him for a playoff run. I need these people who are in this conversation to understand the difference between losing a player who is a part of your team and franchise and losing somebody you added for the playoffs. So if you're going to make this argument with me about what they should have done and what they did, you cannot include Dezingle and Duchesne. They are not Columbus Blue Jackets. They were added for a playoff run. So putting in your little articles that they lost these two guys is a false narrative, a.k.a. that's lying. Okay, I don't like that. Okay, that's not true. Um, and I'm, other than that, I'm open up for any debate. I, I really am. I, I couldn't ahead. agree more with you. And if if you look at the the Blue Jackets, they added both those guys to the deadline, and it wasn't like uh, those guys took them from the 16 seed or the eight seed in the East to the number one seed. Um, they were still the last wild card team to get in, which meant they had to play against the big bad Tampa Bay Lightning. So those guys, they helped, but it wasn't like they were the biggest impact of the team overall. Um, they were brought in as deadline acquisitions. They Everybody knew they weren't going to re-sign them. So it wasn't like you were counting on them for that year and beyond. To me, they come right off out of, out of the picture. Um, Bob and Panarin, huge losses, but uh, Panarin, you can't really make up for. He's an MVP candidate, and he, sco- he scores. He does everything well. But Bob... Um, Nobody wants to look at that contract now. It's a year in, and that looks like it's going to be brutal for the Panthers. And then in steps Merzlikens and Corpusalo, and they don't skip a beat. Quite frankly, they were just as good as anything Bob did last year. Um, so I'm with you there. The, the Losing the players hurts, but the, the, you've got the system in place, and, and, and you've got guys that came in and replaced them. Uh, uh, like, you really weren't missing anything besides Panarin if you want to look at it from a, a t- team year over year standpoint. And that's just it. And it's 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 people are so quick to say they lost this, this, that, and that. Their team is a bottom dwelling team and they suck. Where if you actually look into their team, like you said, they added those two players for a playoff run. They were still the bottom seed. They miraculous them sweeping Tampa wasn't expected by any means. They were never expected to win. If they got swept, nobody would have bl- blinked an eye at that. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been okay. That is what it is. And we all know they were going all in on it. So the things I will say on that is Duchesne and Dezingle losing them is and using that as a point to say why Tortorella should win. The Jack Adams this year is is complete bullshit. It, there's no art. There's no background for that. They were not Columbus Blue Jackets except for a playoff run. They're they're they, irrelevant they, to the argument. 
How many teams have added for a playoff run? That's like saying the Pittsburgh Penguins lost uh, Jerome McGinley when they traded for him from uh, in Calgary. Like, are you serious? Like, this is not how this works. The Flyers didn't lose. You know, who's a goofball we got from Toronto that he played for uh, Chicago? Oh, Versteeg. Versteeg. That's all oh, the Flyers lost for Steeg. Like, because we gave up a first round pick for the guy. So that's comparable to what Columbus gave up to get some of their guys. They gave up some top picks. You know, first round pick ain't nothing to sneeze at. And he left us, and nobody said a word about that. Yep. So if you're going to tell me that, first off, the Zingles' this big loss is BS, and Duchesne was never going to sign there. We all knew he was going to Nashville. You're completely fooling yourself. So trying to sell me on the narrative that they lost four key guys is bullshit. First, And also to add to that, they signed – Gustav Nyquist, who's been pretty good. I would put him on par with Dezingle. I don't think that's that unfair as of a comparison. I think he's older. But I, I like, would take him over Dezingle. Right. Sounds, I think he's older, so like Dezingle still has room to grow. But like he's the more talented player. He's more steady. You know what you got with the guy. So now you're already down to – and I think, Duchesne, that whole loss is BS. You knew you are never getting him back. And he wasn't with you for your full season last year. He was a playoff edition ad, which all teams do. So saying you lost him is BS. So let's break it down to Panarin and Bob. There is no argument on Panarin. I'll give you that. They yeah, lost Panarin. Make anything for that. You, can't, you can't make that comparison. Bob, how good's he been in Florida? I think he's, uh, for a $10 million man, I think he's barely hanging on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, and you know what? You know, the reason I bring that up is this defense and some notable names in Seth Jones, Zach Rowinski, and Ryan Murray. Like these guys are extremely, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but they're underrated. You know, yeah, and as deep. you, right, and as you alluded to, um, Torts has had this team for how many years now? Five years. And in your, in your, um, we both played hockey, and in your experience, how often does the head coach affect goaltending play? Uh, very, very little. Uh, to me, like you have your own goaltending coach. Um, th- I think that has more to do with it than the head coach. Uh, Tortorella just wants to see him stop the puck. Uh, he doesn't care how he does it. Uh, just don't let the puck in the net. That's all a head coach to me cares about. Um, they have much more to worry about. So I don't put the success of a um, a, a goalie on the head coach. I, I think that's more on the system. And uh, ultimately, the goalie coach uh, for a, for a goaltender that plays way above uh, what what they should. And I couldn't agree more. And the the key word there was system. And I think that he's kept his system. And don't get me wrong, this is where people start to think I say the guy sucks, and he doesn't. He's very deserving for the nomination. What I'm trying to argue is the distance between him and Olavinio, and it's not much, but this is why. And so far, we've shot holes in half of the arguments as to why he should win. And Bob, yeah, here's a news flash for you. Florida would not have made the playoffs if it wasn't for this 24 team uh, bid with everything going on with COVID. Exactly. Yeah, and neither would the Blue Jackets. Thank you. Exactly. They started to fall apart towards the end of the year. They took like one injury to a, their captain, who statistically wasn't that good, and they fell off the tracks. And they just neither team has been that good. Bob is not that good, and one of the main reasons is that the defensive core in Florida is not as good as the defensive core and system in Columbus. Okay. And that and you're seeing it. Bob's getting lit up, man. 
And so to Panarin, they just in my mind, they just lost Panarin. That's it. Agreed. Agreed. So and it's all I don't Go think ahead. that's that crazy. And when you look at how well Corpusal played very very well, how about Merzlikens? I mean, he had a month stretch where he had five shutouts, about ten like awesome games. That could take you from eighth to like fourth. That mm-hmm. is a if you play that well. And I'm sorry, but coaching don't do that. It is a defensive team and system. And I'll give them a little credit with the system, but that system's been in place for how many years now? And I seen some of those games, and he, Ms. Liskins, played out of his mind. And to bring it all full circle, how'd they do when they played the Flyers, the Flyers Steve? I think I they were 0 for 4. 0 and 4, yep. Flyers so you're, you got Vigneault going up against Torts, and every time they played each other, the Flyers... I don't want to say spank them because that's unfair. But to go 4-0, regardless of how you got the W done, especially those two back-to-back games towards the end of the season where the Flyers, I think they only went to overtime once, won both games as important as – those games were more important for Columbus than they were the Flyers by far because they were barely hanging on. And the Flyers beat them both times. You're going to tell me that – Tortorella deserves that win over AV. And we haven't even talked about AV yet, and I'm going to transfer into that right now. This guy walks into this team, which is a complete mess. You had Hackstall here. You have reports that we signed, uh, what's his name, in Florida to be our head coach. Yeah, you know he's going to be our head coach, which is some people haven't even retorted those <laughs> reports yet. In their minds, he is the head coach. Um, you got to... A new general manager. You know, Chuck Fletcher comes in. Hextall's out. The first thing he does is make, in my opinion, a poor trade for Simmons. He acquires Ryan Hartman in a fourth. He trades Hartman away for a guy nobody knows. Um, They go and sign Hayes, which I like the move. Uh, I was a little iffy on the price, but I get it. It's a free agent price. Um, And people just like to think this this is who people who don't like AV winning and do like trots they say oh well they did this they added niskanen they added uh hayes both of those players had bad years last year how are we going to just disregard how poorly they both played last year hayes was iffy at best with the rangers got traded to winnipeg it was invisible invisible yeah, I think he was scratched i think he was scratched a couple he, was, times. he was traded for a, he was a playoff acquisition and was scratched in the playoffs yep. And Niskanen had a head injury that I believe that he had kind of screwed his whole season. He was on and off. I think he played his worst season with the Capitals by far. And we acquired both those players, which were good moves by Fletcher. I won't argue that. And you're just going to automatically say, oh, well, they acquired these two guys. They're great. That That is the most bullshit argument I have ever heard when you break everything down. If you, you have a better argument with Justin bringing in Justin Braun, honestly, because he's is what he is. He's a role player, you know, and with our team being as good as he is, that was a good move by Fletcher. These are three good moves by Fletcher has something to do with Vigneault. Vigneault had to come in with a team that he's never coached. If anything's ultimately coached against a lot and set a new system, not only system, but culture and culture is the main thing. He probably came in. You guys are fucking losers. And I apologize for the F-bomb, but like, that's what they did for five years under Hackstall. They lost. 
all they did was lose. They were terrible. Every big game situation, you'd see McDonald floundering on the ice, not knowing which way was up. You'd have Dale Weiss taking stupid penalties, and you'd have Valerie Flippola giving up, you know, <laughs> stupid poke checking, going around, jumping around him, and whatever the else Hackstall did. And hey, hey, Dave, we got like top players here. Maybe we should put one of them in. No, I trust uh, McDonald. And then they end up losing in a playoff game eight to four. Like that's what we lived with. Either missing the playoffs or if we made it, we got destroyed. It wasn't it was embarrassing the fact that we made the playoffs because how badly we got beaten. Like uh, the Penguin, the Penguin series, especially because when we won, we we squeaked it out. When we lost, we got demolished. It was embarrassing. It was absolutely embarrassing to say, hey, let's go watch the game. We won yesterday two to one and watch us lose six to one. Like it was stupid. And we dealt with the Masons and the Neuverts and what have you. And playing Elliot, I think he played Elliot a full month, which is on <laughs> like the entire month of December until he literally his his groin just said, I can't do it anymore. Like it's just ridiculous. That's how bad we dealt with. And he came in here and he said he set a precedent, culture, system. It took a little bit of time. But let's remember two things here, Steve. Noel Patrick did not play one game for this team. Oscar Lindblom had 19 goals by November and left with cancer. And the team still finished as the hottest team in hockey. And you're going to tell me that Trotz deserves this over them because of expectation? If you truly believe that, you have not been paying attention. I've kind of hogged the mic a little bit, dropped a couple of cursors that I need to. I will hand it over to you at this point. All right, so for me... I, I think they get, the NHL got two of the three candidates right. I, I think Cassidy, while deserving, I would have actually, as much as it pains me to say this, given it to Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh uh, as a nominee over him. Um, so let, I'll start with Cassidy. Um, the, the Bruins were in the cup finals last year. Uh, they didn't really lose a ton. Um, by all preseason metrics and accounts, predictions, they had the Bruins as – uh, leading or second place in their division. Um, everybody knew they were going to be good. That was, that was no secret. Um, he's, had a, he's had a fair impact on the team. Look, he's, he's a good coach, but you're also dealing with a world-class goalie. Um, I'll say a world-class backup, maybe except for today. Um, so I, I think he was, pl- he was playing with a, a full house already uh, where everybody else was trying to bluff their way to the top. Uh, uh, Cassidy, I, I just don't see him being uh, the Jack Adams winner just because of the position that he was in coming into the season. I, I, there was no, to me, the, the, the award isn't about him uh, so much as it is about the guys that come in and have a, a true impact on a team that wasn't in the Stanley Cup finals last year. Um, so I, to me, he's, uh, while he's deserving, he's out. He's out for me. Now, the, the last two, Tortorella and Vigneault. Tortorella, we've covered it a lot. You've mentioned all the uh, departures, everything. He's been with Columbus for five years. Great coach, great system in place. But the key word there is it, the system was already in place. He gets to replace players that already know his system, what he wants from them. A lot of the little things that uh, he's already imprinted on the culture of Columbus. Um, not to mention the Flyers going 4-0 against Columbus, I think hurts his cause. Um, another stat, he's, he went 23-9-10 versus the East, whereas Vigneault went 30-10-5. Uh, we know how impactful that can be in the standings. Um, you got to beat the teams in your division and in your conference. 
Um, that's how you move up the standings, and Vigno did just that. So I'm going to go another a little bit deeper here for you. Year over year, the Flyers improved their points percentage by almost 15%. From last year, the Blue Jackets fell almost two, which is understandable given some of the losses and, and turnover in players. So I'm not going to kill them there. Um, their expected goals for per game, the Flyers went up almost two percentage points, whereas the Blue Jackets won. Goals for percentage, uh, Flyers scored uh, almost 7% more goals this year than last year. The, the Blue Jackets are down about two. Uh, my, my key thing I want to stress here is the goal differential per game. The Flyers from last year are up almost an entire goal in differential. So they're scoring about 35% more and allowing 65% less. Um, but the Blue Jackets are actually negative in that stat. Um, I have a hard time awarding a, a, an award to the best coach where year over year they're not even as good as they were at uh, not allowing goals uh, goals per game in, in terms of differential. So while I think Tortorella is deserving, I think everything that Vigneault's done, uh, implementing a new system, getting guys to buy in, calling out veterans when he needs to, um, he should be the runaway winner with uh, Tortorella backing up the rear, um, I think, in all the votes. And that's what I'm saying here. I don't want to kill Torts. The guy is definitely right. the number two here, but he's not number one, and this is why. And from what you know, we said, I came out with the eye test, and you came out analytically, and both point to Vigneault. And it's, yeah, maybe it's close, maybe it's not, but either way, the winner's Vigneault. And you, you, a lot of people look at the narrative, and that's what blows my mind. That's what drives me crazy. It's a false narrative. They did not lose half as many players as you're saying. They have a system in place. He's been there five years. We got a brand new head coach to a losing culture. Five years of losing. And you want to say, oh, well, they made the playoffs. Okay, great. Half the league makes the playoffs. How'd they do in the playoffs? Different conversation suddenly. Suddenly we're throwing Edge Schneider bracelets on the ice. Oh, big difference. You know, when they get embarrassed by the Capitals, who was the division rival. When they get embarrassed by the Penguins, who is not only a division rival, but the biggest division rival and flat-out rival that they have. I don't like getting embarrassed. I don't know about you, but I was sick and tired of seeing this team get rolled, get steamrolled by these great teams that both Pittsburgh and Washington went on to win between the two of them three cups during the Hacksaw era. Oh, that and, sounds you know, great. It's not even steamrolled so much as it was coming out and looking like they weren't prepared to play a game. How they, many times did they get blitzed and just look like they, they didn't even show up? And they this year, well, they, coach, they, they look sloppy. They, the the goaltending wasn't score. there. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to kill that because that does happen. You, you, you know, Brian Elliott, as much as you like the guy, as our starter, you know, you would need everything else to be running on, on all cylinders, and it clearly wasn't. Uh, we have some nice names, but that's it. Yep. And to go from that losing culture, they added three players, guys, three players, and Justin Braun's a wash because he was the same player he was in with the Sharks. And Kevin Hayes had a bad season. Look it up. It's all there. He got benched after being traded to Winnipeg. Winnipeg was making their last push before they knew they were going to lose Truba. They probably had some kind of inkling about Bufflin, and they were knew they were losing Tyler Myers. They lost. The, they were knew they were gonna probably potentially lose their entire right side of their D. Maybe keep one guy. They knew shit was gonna hit the fan, 
and they traded for a guy. They gave up a first round pick, if I'm right. In fact, their only first round pick, and they benched the guy. That's not a good season. Okay, that's bad. On top of that, Niskanen had a bad season. Well, I remember when that trade went down, Washington was like, oh, well, Niskanen's kind of, he's kind of coming back down to earth and he's not as good. And they bring back this head injury he had where he went head first into the boards and, you know, was a little screwed up and just couldn't get things going. Well, you know what? He got a fresh start and it turned up. But you want to give that all to Fletcher? You want to give that all to Niskan? Is anybody out there willing to give that to Vigneault and his system? Because you know what? When he was in Vancouver and New York, he was pretty goddamn good. Wouldn't you say? He did everything but win a cup. And when I say that, he went to two cups. And one of them went to game seven at home. You can't ask for more than that. So if you're going to tell me that this is not on his coaching ability, you just started watching hockey. Because that's BS. Come on. Like, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the stats. Let's look at everything we have in front of us. You hit me with analytics. I hit with the eye test, and it all adds up. Vigneault is your winner, and that's why it drives me nuts. Let's push a false narrative because we like a better story. Well, I love a Cinderella story, whatever you want to call it, too. But facts are facts, and Vigneault is your winner. And I, this is the one thing, and we'll get into the Selkie next because I think this is going to be different. But this is the one thing the NHL is going to get right when Vigneault wins this award. So with that... I'll leave that at that, and we'll move on to the Selkie considerations here. Uh, Steve, I know you have a lot of analytics on this one, and this is one that actually deserves the analytic background, unlike mm-hmm. the coaching. So let's uh, let's see what you got. I believe we got um, Bergeron, as always, perennial. Uh, Couturier starting to become perennial. And um, from the Blues. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, yeah, who was a very good player, mind you. He had probably his best year he ever had last year, but – Who's you? Who? What do you got? What's going on in the Selkie dis- uh, discussion consideration right now? All right. So for me, I came into this with an open mind. Clearly, I want Couturier to win it. Um, Bergeron, the award might get named for him one day. He's been that good. Uh, I believe O'Reilly won it last year. Um, overall, I wanted to look at this it, it, with an open mind, not having any preconceived bias. Um, to me, the award is, a, it, I know it's supposed to be defensive or originally it was now it's the 200 foot game. So everything comes into play here. Um, Couturier played, Couturier and O'Reilly played every game for their team. Uh, Bergeron missed not. So I'll give the slight nod to Couturier and O'Reilly there. Um, you gotta be on the ice to be impactful and Bergeron did miss nine games. Now he's, he's the oldest of the bunch, but still got to take it into consideration. Um, Couturier put up 59 points, O'Reilly 61 in two more games, um, Bergeron 56 and eight, eight less than Couturier. So I'll give Bergeron a, a little nod there, but Bergeron is also playing with two, um, otherworldly talent players. Well, maybe one Marshawn will just, he's, he's good. We'll just leave it at that. Um, hmm. so he's got 56 points there plus minus Couturier and Bergeron 21 and 23 respectively. O'Reilly's at plus 11, um, so give the nod to the other two guys. Now, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper here. Um, the face-off percentage, which to the casual hockey fan, it just seems like a, a thing that happens during the game that is not as impactful, but you can't possess the puck if you don't win face-offs. Couture was, I believe, the best in the league at 59.7. He eclipses both of the other two by two, two and three points. Corsi Four, he's he leads the pack at 57.2. He was also on the ice for most goals per 60 minutes of the three, 63 versus 60 and 62. He was on the ice for the second most goals against per 60. But again, 
uh, I'm going to bring it down to one other that I think is very impactful in this one. His offensive zone start percentage was 51.3. So he's starting, he's taking the face off in the offensive zone roughly half the time. Now for Bergeron, that number jumps off the page at almost 60%. It's a lot harder to score. We know shifts are roughly 30, 40, 50 seconds in the NHL. It's hard to go from one end to the other if, A, you don't win a faceoff, um, or, B, your team just doesn't move the puck as well. Um, I, I think the fact that Couturier started his draws about eight points lower than Bergeron in the defensive zone, uh, or in the offensive zone, excuse me, says a lot. And he's playing against the best players every night. Um, his shorthanded faceoff percentage, where he played about two minutes, so he killed roughly a, a full power play per game. Um, he was winning 53.5% of his faceoffs, allowing the team to clear the puck. Um, Bergeron was a, uh, just under two minutes per game and under 50%, and O'Reilly played about 225 and 151. So I got to give the nod to Coots there as well. Finally, I'll hit you with this one. Uh, five on five close game, which would be one goal game in the first or second period and a tie game in the third period. Katori had 22 points uh, versus 15 for Bergeron and 24 O'Reilly. His faceoff percentage was the highest at almost 62%, and his Corsi 4 was the highest at 57.6, which is a possession metric. Um, all of these things tell me Katori is the front runner. O'Reilly, I actually believe, has a slightly better case than Bergeron, wow. um, but I think that might be nitpicking a little bit. Um, all three guys are very deserving. I think this is finally the year Couturier does get the nod, though, or should get the nod. Let's put it that way. This is a nice correction because I, I, well, I'll <laughs> say this much. I agree with you. I, I mean, easily. But as we know from awards past, well, at least when it comes to players, I think they're okay with you know managers and coaches. But if Giroux can't even get nominated for his, I believe it was twenty, was that twenty seventeen season? Seventeen. Um, where he had the most points outside of McDavid, but his team did make the playoffs and Hold can't on, even get nominated. When Hold on, his, oh, um, if you change his name to Crosby, he doesn't only get nominated; he wins. He wins most Unanimously. points. Last game of the season, they need to win it to make it. He scores a hat trick. <laughs> he can't yeah, even get like, nominated. Yeah, it, yeah, it's amazing. I actually heard, and this is why I don't, I just can't stand certain hockey writers because they're very, um, they're just, what's the word? They're so used to what they see, and they're just jaded. They're jaded. They're, That's they're setting their ways. Exactly. And I heard somebody, the Flyers did have a 10-game losing streak. They also had a 10-game winning streak. But that wasn't brought up. I hear all the Flyers had a ten-game uh, losing streak. So right there, I thought Drew can—he was out of my running for me. How does that even begin to make sense? Like he's—I uh, just—I don't understand that chain of thought at all in any in any sport. Like uh, maybe football because you, <laughs> the best you can go, you know, what six and ten? Like you know, it's just like what they went. They had a ten-game losing streak. They also had. A that was right after a 10-game winning streak. They pulled it together. He scored the most points in hockey of any team eligible for the playoffs. And in the game that mattered most, he scored a hat trick, and you can't even nominate him. That's the that's dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that's great. how stupid these writers are. So that's what scares me about this award because Bergeron just got nominated for his record ninth time. And I brought this up on the main show. And if he wins, it would be a record fifth 
win for the Selkie. And like you alluded to when you started this conversation, this this Selkie might be changed to the Bergeron <laughs> trophy. <laughs> and I think the NHL likes storylines. So why the analytics and the eye test, which should be the two final factors in this, say that Coots is the winner, and you brought up a good point about O'Reilly actually gives Bergeron a push more than Bergeron gives Coots a push, mm-hmm. which means Coots should be the winner. I you can think? still see the NHL coming out and giving it to Bergeron just because if it's a story. And at that point, awards don't mean jack shit to me because I remember Crosby winning the Conn Smythe when either Phil Kessel or Murray deserved it more than he did, but that doesn't look good. Let's Main give value. it to our star player. So it scares the shit out of me because this guy is clearly deserving, and I really feel like it's 50-50 whether he'll win this award, and it shouldn't be. He should be the front runner, like you said, and it's amazing me because when you told me you had analytics and all, I thought it was going to give Bergeron more of a shot here. I did and too. It just se- further separates the pack, coots from the pack. And if anything, like you alluded to, Riley is knocking on Bergeron's door. So, I mean, this should be an open and shut case, much like the Jack Adams award. I think that Fignot will win the Jack Adams, and I'm 50 50 on whether coots wins the, the Selkie. And it's a shame because the damn guy deserves it. So, yeah. I'll ask you this. What do you think with both awards? What do you think actually happens? I think not Vigneault what should wins. happen. What does happen? I think Vigneault wins the Jack Adams, um, and I, I, I unfortunately I think Bergeron is going to get the win on the Selkie. I, I think the story. I did. The story is too good. Oh, it's and that's what it is. It's a story. And, and if, wrong. if if this draft situation doesn't prove it with uh, whatever team gets eliminated getting the top pick which are there's a lot of premier teams in there with Montreal, Toronto, Pittsburgh, whoever like that tells you right then and there, the NHL likes a story more than how things should be. And if you want me to go further back, uh, there was a canceled season in 2005. And for some goofball reason, the Pittsburgh Penguins got the first overall pick after a heavily weighted lottery when the team was waving their white flag and saying, we're going to Kansas city show. Suddenly, they get Sidney Crosby. So if I know anything about this league and Gary Bettman, things are going to go exactly how they like. And Bergeron winning this award makes a lot of sense. So This is the passing of the torch where Bergeron gets his last one and then Couture finally gets his due, unfortunately. Which, I hope I'm end wrong. of the day, I'm okay with. But I wouldn't be surprised if like 20 years from now, we're at a barbecue talking and we're like, oh, yeah, well, Cooch should technically have – five also but he got screwed out of that first one because of Bergeron I, I could totally see that conversation happening yeah, you know what I yeah. mean and it, this is why and a part of me also believes whoever loses Montreal Pittsburgh series will get the first overall pick because it makes too much sense to give one of these guys a top player so <laughs> that's just more reasoning right there analytical it's backed up so you can't cry you can't cry and say oh you're just saying your opinion because these analytics back this up as well this is Coots award Say what you will about the Jack Adams. I that was everything I said was opinion. Um, who they lost and what they mean to the team. That was opinion. Although you did hit me with some stats about their uh, winning percentage, um, and we all know how bad the Flyers used to be and how good they are now. And tonight's game should prove that, if anything. But as far as Coots and Bergeron go, this is a pretty open shut case, and oh, I am mortified. <laughs> because he deserves it. I thought he deserved to be nominated in the past, and he wasn't nominated, and he finally – I think he finished two a couple of years ago, but it's like this is his time to win. Like, come on. Pass the torch. Don't don't yep. pull your bullshit. If a guy breaks a record, it should be because he is the best. That's what I like about statistical stats. You can't fake that shit. 
Yeah, know? don't don't give him the award just because it's a nice, happy story, closing a getting close to the end of his career. Give it to the guy that deserves it. Right, he's a he's a great player. He's got one cup. It's not like he's the yeah. this isn't the Oilers dynasty or anything, or the, even the Blackhawks. Like they got a cup. He was a phenomenal player. I'd have him on my team any day. He's probably still going to play for another three or four years, but he just flat out doesn't deserve to win. And I would say, quote unquote, his award. You know? <laughs> um, it's, I it's, agree with it's you. Time to pass, it's time to pass the torch. It, this is Coos's time. He deserves it. And one thing we're kind of not talking about is I think that when Coots, if he does win, which he should, when it comes time to sign Coots, is going to be uh, that's going to be tough. He's going to want like 10, 10, 11 million dollars. And you know what? I, I said it early in his career. If if they're not going to use him in a offensive role, I think he's better off being traded for the value that he has to another team. But man, once they let him do his thing and play, be a little bit more offensive, get open up his game. I, I, I think he's gonna, he's not he's not Sid. He's not he's not a vet. He's not those guys. But he does everything you want in a player. Um, scores. He plays an incredible defensive game. And while he may not look like Austin Matthews, who's making what eleven million or whatever it is, I think he's worth every every penny of it. I mean, I certainly would pay him what he needs. And if I look at our team, we can keep our team. And um, it just makes too much sense that JVR is $7 million. You add that to what Coots makes now, a four-point something, that's roughly 11. Uh, he's probably going to have to go to make it work. I hope they can figure it out. That's the conversation for another day. Uh, with that, Steve, I, uh, I think that's a wrap. We definitely covered a lot today. We did. Uh, a lot going on. Uh, before we go, before I wrap this up, Steve, uh, what is your uh, prediction for the game on Thursday against Washington? Washington, I'm going to say Flyers come out, and I'm going to say they win 4-2. to two. Uh, I'm saying the top line gets going, um, and we get a, a, a Jake uh, sighting. Wow. One and one from Jake, one and one from G, and uh, the power play finally clicks. So they're going to pass the puck into the net. I like it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say five to four Flyers only because I think Washington has some kind of late push. Uh, we've had their number outside of game one where we lost an OT. We've had their number. I think that continues. I think we beat the uh, – Tam- I'm more worried about Tampa than am Washington, but how good we looked against Boston gives me all sorts of confidence. And I got to say, I think they win the game. Uh, I think it's close. I think it's roughly high scoring. But I think they win the game five to four. I agree with you. I don't know about Jake. I think G shows up. Um, I see. I think Provorov gets a power play goal or point or something. <laughs> like because their power play looked terrible. I think their power as play. As long as he doesn't around. walk the uh, line and go off sides. And another another name. I I think I think we see some uh, more Konechny on top of that. I think we see uh, more like of the it. star players this game yeah. than we yep. the gritty guys. Um, Hayes I feel like falls into both of those those he categories. He can do whatever you need him to. Which is why I love him. But, um, yeah, so I think we're in agreement there that they should beat the Capitals. I'll take it however we can get it. And if we have two wins, we're looking pretty good for the damn seeding. So yep. that would be fantastic. So with that, guys, I think that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Please remember to like, favorite, and subscribe. Keep an eye out for all HW Radio content, our main show with myself, Kyle, and Jimmy. But also in Forces Corner with Kyle, the Jim and Jim Show with Jim Dowd. That's a former uh, NHL player, Stanley Cup winner, and former flyer. Anything... 
but hockey with Kelly Hinkle of Broad Street Hockey and check out our website, hwhockey.net. We have all sorts of articles on there. We will have rankings and a plethora of other things is on there as well. Uh, please join us next time when HW Radio comes full circle. I'm Jack Smith, and you can find me at Jack underscore HW Radio. He's C. Ferrari. You can find him at Ferrari underscore HW Radio. As always, guys, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, and we look to join in next time. Good fight. Good night.